Hey guys, welcome back to the Dad's Group Podcast. My name is Blair. And I'm Bernsey. Dad's Group is all about helping fathers and helping families. And what we aim to do on this podcast is to bring you interviews, bring you insights, and bring you all sorts of helpful stuff that's going to help you become a better dad and help your family grow closer together. Exactly, mate. And the podcast is not the only way that we try and support new and expecting dads. We've got our community groups, uh, community dad groups, catch up. We got our hospital program as well. Uh, we also have some exciting news coming up. We can't announce it today. But we do have exciting news coming up in ways that you guys can be a part of supporting dads and families around Australia. So keep tuning in each week, uh, mate, because I'm so pumped to be able to share this, but can't yet. Oh, Super what a rules. tease, what a tease. But anyway, mm-hmm. let's chat about last week's episode with our conversation with Tom Tensick. Tommy, yeah. Tommy. Mate, so Tommy is, a, as I said in the episode, he's a, a mate of mine from back in the footy days. Um, you know, I just love catching up with mates. I haven't spoken to him properly in a very long time, in a number of years, and we just caught up and just had a chat about fatherhood, his experiences uh, from living in Melbourne during COVID, which is when he had his first kid, and just... Mate, like, you know, living in Melbourne during COVID was intense. Having a kid is intense. So when you sandwich those two things together, it's a lot. It really is a lot. So, mate, I just really loved just hearing his story and just the way that he's gone through that. But what I loved the most is just hearing the challenge of, um, you know, growing in that corporate ladder, having a kid, and then having your priorities just shift to be family and focus. And that was just super encouraging to me. Uh, one, cause you know, I knew the guy. Um, so that, that's just really great hearing that and seeing that journey as well. But also mate, that's just been a real challenge for me too. It's like, how do you balance the priority of work and the priority of family? It's, it's a really hard challenge. So I loved just hearing that chat, but yeah. how have you been challenged with that, mate? What's that look like for you? Yeah. It got me thinking about like, since my son was born, how's that, like, how's that changed my approach to work? Um, and not that I've ever worked in corporate, um, mm. but I think there was that ambition to try and do as much as I could um, and, yep. you know, to try and look good, to try and look like a high performer. And I think that definitely was a motivation prior to my son's birth. Um, my work, there's always been a travel component to it. And because I'm working in schools, it's like time off is always during school holidays, and which obviously not the ideal time to travel. So it's always been a bit of a pain point, but I was willing to push through that because, you know, again, that, that trying to look successful, be successful sort of thing. But once my son was born, it really changed the motivation. And, you know, I've, I've been more motivated of, you know, when I think about my career, how can I create more time? How can I create more flexibility? And that really drives a lot of my career decisions now. Um, so yeah, I guess similar to what Tom was saying about like his ambition change from wanting to climb that corporate ladder, I think, yeah, similar sort of thing where, um, I was trying to find ways to create some of that family success rather than always work success or personal success. So yeah, I think that's been the biggest change for me. Yeah, that's fantastic, man. And I think anyone that listens to that episode will be challenged just personally. You know, that's the beauty of Dad's Group and the beauty of this podcast is there is so much power in story. You know, so I want to encourage our listener, mate, if you've got some friends, if you are catching up at a dad's group playground, share your story because I can guarantee you it will not be unique to you. Uh, people make podcasts about this, man. They make podcasts about stories. And so just do that. It's just really, really powerful. But love that chat last week, but super keen for this week's conversation. Yeah. Who we got, Bernsey? Yeah, well, our guest was described by dad's group CEO, Tom Docking, 
uh, he described our guest as the biggest name in fatherhood. So this could potentially be um, the biggest podcast episode we've ever done. Our guest in this episode has written multiple books, speaking career. Um, his most popular book, like sold in over 40 languages in over 80 countries, like just insane, the reach that this man has had. Our guest uh, this week is none other than Steve Biddulph, the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, he wrote Raising Boys. He wrote a similar book, Raising Girls. Um, he's written about manhood and masculinity. And we dig in, like I had a set list of questions. I think I asked the first one and then he just went off. And it was like sitting with Yoda, like with Dad Yoda. Um, <laughs> not awesome. Baby Yoda, Dad Yoda. And, you know, I was just <laughs> sitting there um, like I, I, and like he was so gracious with his time. He built every second of this interview with something meaningful and valuable. Um, so I think our listeners are going to love this one. And we're so excited to share it. Again, like he's just an incredible, incredible mind when it comes to parenting, but particularly fatherhood. And, and he approaches it from both that perspective of um, how do we raise children, uh, and particularly boys is something we talked a lot about because that's an area of his interest, but also about ourselves as men doing the fatherhood. So, yeah, such a valuable episode. Can't wait for you all to hear it. And we'll see you all next week. Enjoy the pod. Well, welcome back to the Dad's Group podcast. Today we're joined by Steve Bidolf himself, uh, who has been described by some of our Dad's Group team as the name in fathering. Steve, thank you for joining us. Uh, let's start with how are you going out of 10 today? Oh hi Adam. It's um it's it's a, it's always a, a a a big question when someone asks that at the start of a group. And, and um I started off about uh, six point five this morning. I've got a, a cough and a, and it's cold and rainy and um but I'm seeing your face there smiling and he looks so um fresh and alive and and uh, talking to young dads is something I really like and and so um. I'm improving. I, I, I generally, I start off nervous and I, and I soon feel better. So thanks very much. I reckon I'm coming up to about an eight now. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, thank you for saying I look fresh and alive. It's a very conscious choice after the night we had with my little fella. So <laughs> but it's right. very good to be on with you today. Um, I wonder if we could start with what, from your own fathering journey, and, and we'll talk a lot about your work and your writing and your speaking, which is just incredible. But um, for our dads listening, from your fathering journey, what's been a highlight for you? Okay. Um, now, I, I I thought about this question because you sent me the, the, the guideline of what you'd be asking, Adam. And um, it's a funny thing because it, it isn't really about highlights to me. It, it's is because I'm I'm 70 years old now and I'm a you know a husband and a dad and a granddad wow. and um I think that the best things are just the very small things um the the um I've got a um a, a daughter who's who's well grown up now well on the way but she lives very nearby and um and just um hearing her and my wife laughing together um is an incredible thing i i, I worked with uh, families quite often where nobody ever laughed and nobody felt safe enough um and and that, that kind of laughter is such a indication of of 
things being okay. Um, and and so and then seeing my little granddaughters running across the fields. They we have a farm and and um, they live on the farm, and so they're seven and four now. And seeing them just so free and so at ease in a, in a beautiful to live in Tasmania. It's a beautiful place, yeah. and. And so it's this kind of this quiet feeling of I feel like an old lion sitting on a rock, you know, and the sun's going down over the Serengeti, and um, you know the future may hold all kinds of terrors, and and we we never know with climate change and war and things, but sometimes you get this thing that right now in this moment this is this is absolute bliss, mm-hmm. and um, and being a being a parent and a grandparent it it gives you lots of those moments um and they're what kind of sustain you so that then the next thing you know you're rushing to the hospital or you're doing whatever other dramas that present um but um i've learned to when one of those moments just pops up um i really breathe it in Mm -hmm. um because i know that'll sustain me and and relax me and um and and make it um, and it kind of, you kind of bank them uh, against you know the necessary things that will will all happen. I can see you nodding your head. Does that make yeah, sense? It Adam? does. Yeah. It does. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's um, such sort of sage wisdom for for young dads who are listening to this, just to you know sort of stop and slow down and take a breath. And, and yeah. as you say, like just breathe those moments in because um, yeah, as you say, like it's it's that constant sort of journey, not just the 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 yeah. yeah and 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 I I remember when my um when we were expecting our first baby um and um there was a there was a thing that happened because because uh, your listeners are in that young dad phase where often the whole feeling is about I've got to achieve and I've got to provide and um and we've got to tick all these boxes and yeah. and we lived on a very ramshackle farmhouse and it was drafty and had mice everywhere. And, and it was just pretty rough. And, and we, and we were ready to have a baby and, and very excited to be pregnant. And, and, but I had this sudden kind of thing took over, you know, the kitchen isn't good enough and the bathroom, we're going to have to, you know, we've got, we've got eight months, seven, eight months. I reckon I could probably sort out the bathroom and, and renovate it and, and and I got very kind of um, stirred up. And Sharon, my wife, is you know I'm six foot four, but Sharon is only about five foot, and um, and so she's of necessity is very much the strong one in the relationship. <laughs> and, and she she I remember her coming up to me and kind of reaching up, and you can picture this grabbing me by the lapels, you know, grabbing mm. sort of stopping me in my tracks, and and looking me in in the eye and saying. Just want to be really clear. Um, if you want to do that stuff, if you want to rip our kitchen out and build it again, um, I won't stop you doing that. Um, but don't do it for me because I don't. I don't care. I don't want any of that. And and it's it was a fantastic intervention that she made because my whole construct of being a father, being being worried, stressed you know raising and spending lots of money and and she just rewrote that just you know she said don't mm. put that on me that kind of 
warrior hero dad you know yeah um i'm not with you for your pay packet and i'm not and you know i don't live for my kitchen <laughs> and 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 i took it i didn't learn that overnight it probably took me another 15 years to really get that in my system but yeah. but that was the beginning so yeah yeah um parenthood is a here and now thing our kids live in the present yeah. moment, and they really prefer us to be there with them and and they know when we are, are around does that make yeah, sense? It Adam? does. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. I wonder, you, you painted that beautiful picture of your your farmhouse and, and your wife being pregnant. What would you say to yourself? So obviously, you know, Sharon grabbed you by the lapels and, right. you know, sort of was forcing yeah. you to slow down a little bit. What would you say to yourself if you were to grab yes. yourself by the lapels? Well, it was, yes, it was, um, it, if it was along those lines, it, it was very much, if I look back, you know, I've, I've had an amazing life. I, I'm I'm the top selling parenting author in in the world in in the yeah. 21st century, and I my my working day would be on an finish on an auditorium with 500 people applauding. That's how that was mm. the end of my working day. Yeah. You can't complain about that kind right. of life. But but at the same time, for my family, um, I think they would have experienced me generally, and it's a little bit mixed up with the fact that I'm on the autism spectrum. I have Asperger's diagnosis, but I go through life, you know, in a, a sort of masking a state of anxiety that is mm. there all the time. Mm. And what I've been studying recently and writing about recently is the way that children, their, their right hemisphere, their brain, um, reads faces. We read each other's faces yeah. continuously and we set our emotions according to the face of the person who's with us. And and so little children read our faces and they and they, they take an sort of emotional temperature of us. Yeah. And basically if we're stressed, um there's no way there's no way that a baby can be more relaxed than their mother, say. And it's pretty hard for a mum to be relaxed if a partner male or female is is um stressed mm. and so from a dad's point of view we kind of have to look at what are we bringing to the to the emotional budget of our family so it doesn't matter how much money we bring in um if all we bring is stress and 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 also a feeling like we're never quite really there um for instance i often say when, when you come in home from work sometimes it's both partners who are working or whatever sit down straight away have something to drink and have a bit of protein some cheese or some salami or some vegan alternative or something <laughs> um, and don't kind of plow on straight away because we're spinning at different speeds and if you imagine two kind of cogwheels spinning at different speeds they'll just jar all the time and and so if you can settle yourselves down and, and the kids are there in the room, the partners are there in the room and you just chill back into f home mode mm. um, and then, and then you get on and cook dinner or then you get on and do other things, but it just gives you a chance to um, we, we have to manage our own um, emotions uh, <laughs> uh, more, more consciously. Um, and, and then our kids just simply, um, you know, what you want your kids to think is when they look back is, you know, I always felt safe with my dad, you know, I, I never, ever felt scared of him. Mm. Um, and we just had lovely times, you know, dad was nice to be around. Yeah. Um, 
And that's a it's got an Olympic standard achievement in in the kind of you know the, the big world doesn't want us relaxed. The big world wants us fretting and spending and working long hours. Um, so it's a you know I was a counterculture young person in the seventies. We were taught to question the world we lived in, question everything, and and I think that's just even more so today. There's a there's a a family unfriendly world, the corporate corporatized world, doesn't want you happy. It'd rather you be divorced, so you have to buy two fridges and two washing machines. Um, yeah. And so, so it's a countercultural act to have a relaxed family mm. and have a happy family that dances in the kitchen and yeah. and you know mucks about. Um, yeah, end of sermon. <laughs> yeah, no, this is incredible. It's like, mm. and, and I think that image of the gears, like that's resonating a lot with me. And I think it'll resonate with a lot of dads because that's such a shift, isn't it? From, um, from, from not having kids to, to having kids is, and even from single to marriage, um, yes. you know, the, that you are trying to sync your life with other mm. individuals and, and, and certainly our children are individuals. So I, I love that image of the, of the cogs of, of how do we get into sync and, and into the same timing and rhythm? Yeah. Know? Yes. I, I think maybe there's even better meta like a dance or, yeah. or, a, um, or singing a song together. You, you, when you're dancing, you gotta, you don't, you can't, you can't run a dance, you know, if, right. if you're in the old fashioned, you know, ballroom dancing, um, you can't be a control freak. Uh, you, you're not dancing with a store dummy. You know you no. have to feel where are they at. You know where's she at? Where does she want to move? And what does she want to do? And I kind of I'd like to do this, but it will just find a way. And somehow, and and really, it's a it's a kind of grace, Adam, that comes down on us where um, it, it, somehow it works. Yeah. Um, and. Um, we don't we're not making it work somehow it's just that oh well you know when we were going bad and then one of the kids cracked a joke and we're just all laughing you know and who who made that happen i don't know but they did you know and yeah, so yeah. there's a kind of openness involved as well yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely Hey guys, I really hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am, but I just wanted to cut in here really quickly and share with you about a dad's group program called Dads at Work. Dads at Work is a supportive service for employers. We help organizations create supportive work environment for new fathers so they can thrive in their roles as both parents and employees. Our services include consulting, training, and events programs. And research shows us that being supported in our role as dad reduces the stress and increases the likelihood that men will seek help when it is needed rather than waiting until it's too late. Dads at Work can help your organization create a workplace where fathers feel supported and valued so they can be the best fathers and employees they can be. Visit our website today at www.dadsgroup.org to learn more about how Dads at Work can help your organization. Cheers, guys, and back to the pod. Well, you you mentioned about your your writing and your speaking. Um, The book Raising Boys, um, you were telling me by email that it's, it's now... Um, sold four and a half million copies in 32 languages, which is just incredible. Um, I wonder what what do you think, what insight do you have as to why that book has um, seemed to strike a chord in, in that way yeah. that it's it's sold so so much and it's been read so broadly? What what, what does that tell us about um, our understanding about boys and, and how we raise them? And the world, yeah, yes, yes. Um, 
look, there's a there's a thing that I I I sometimes do when I've got a live audience and 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 um I like to be playful and and get people stirred up in 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 my talks and and I draw these two little babies on the um on the whiteboard two identical little babies newborns they're wrapped up you only see the little faces and the blankets are wrapped around them and 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 I say look can you see these two babies they're exactly the same they they look like a photocopy of each other mm. um but um let's look at the baby on the left and the baby on the left has 19 times the chance of going to prison during their lifetime is there a 1900% higher chance of ending up in jail three times greater chance of dying before the age of 25 um three times greater chance of drug addiction um and people started to think what's what's going on here you know i mean three times chance of dying if you're a parent that's you know and and yes so so what's the you know what's the difference between the baby on the left and the baby on the right and you, and you know where i'm going because you asked the question adam mm -hmm. because the baby on the left is a boy mm -hmm. and his life chances are so incredibly different the risk factors are different now now there are risk factors in being a girl as well of of sexual assault or mm -hmm. um eating disorders or uh, uh, there's there's psychiatric problems but mm. there were boys uh, it was at the start of raising boys there's a it starts off with a car crash and i i, I like a dramatic start with my my books and I'm, i was driving on the pacific highway a little parallel side road off the pacific highway and, and came across a car crash that happened probably maybe 20 minutes earlier and the police were there but the ambulance hadn't come yet and and what it was pretty clear what had happened a carload of boys had pulled out of a farm entrance teenage boys probably four i think four at least four boys in the car they had not um waited for a truck that was coming up and they'd misjudged it and the truck collected them mm. and and so there were when i got there there were there were policemen sort of starting to try and organize things and the ambulance came and then pretty soon a fire truck came as well as they tried to get them out and we were all caught in a traffic jam and one of the mothers of one of the boys came running from the farm because you know they were within earshot of where it happened and there was a young policeman holding the mum back from the from the this the, the wrecked car and and i was seeing all these these amazing men caring responsible managing this terrible situation fantastic men first responders and then these these boys who had done this crazy thing of just driving badly and and getting themselves and into such such a hellscape and um and it was like that's how manhood kind of is to me it's kind of like it's the devil and the and the and and heaven and it's either we work out either young men work out really well mm. and when we work out really well we're wonderful we're life protecting and and serve serve life and 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 um and often do it in in ways that involve a lot of courage a lot of self-sacrifice mm. um that's men at their best and and then as men at their worst you know everywhere every newspaper front page you know 
Scott Morrison and Boris Johnson and 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 Vladimir Putin. Um, and and then that's on page two, it's all the domestic violence and 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 the crime. Mm. And and so it was really clear to me as a young family therapist, even in the 1970s, um, we were doing a lot for women. We were doing a fantastic work of, of the women's movement. And nobody was doing much for men. Um, it was like we thought if we just kind of waved our fingers, you know, like it was like um sanctimonious finger wagging, you know, mm. don't rape people, don't, don't mm. bash people. Um that would do the trick, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and and that is just is silly. And and so if you want to really change both the experience of men and also the harm that men do, um, you have to intervene. And so so I started, I wrote manhood mm-hmm. and and I went on the road doing shows, raising boys shows. And the response to that, people, you know, we just people came from everywhere. They if you had a boy, what I used to say at the start was if you have a boy, you're worried. Um, it's like the mum, you know, in the hospital, they say, it's a boy. Mm-hmm. And there's something inside that mum that goes, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even on top of, you know, along with, we've complicated, you know, on top yeah. of, wow, fantastic. It's yeah. like, oh, crap, a boy, you know, and, and all the things that light up with that. Mm. And and I wanted mums to feel, yay, you know, boy, how wonderful. And um. And so I I wrote a, a very a, a very tender-hearted book about how amazing boys are, mm. how emotionally uh, fragile they are, and and you have to love them intensely, and and you have, but also they have a lot of energy. Most of them, and everything we say about boys or girls is a generalization, but most mm. um, because some of this applies to girls just to, yeah, of course too. Um, but every the, the average boy um, is much slower in his developing his motor skills. Mm-hmm. And his brain develops more slowly. And mm-hmm. so to develop your motor skills, you have to use your motor skills. Mm-hmm. And, and so his body, you know, he's sitting in a classroom at the age of five, because in this country, that's when we start school. Mm-hmm. Advanced countries don't do that. They wait till seven. Yeah. Um, but But at five, his body is calling out to him. You know, saying "Move me," <laughs> and he tries. You know, he knows that a good boy is a still boy. You know, he tries to be still, but but in fact, physiologically, he needs movement if he's going to yes. develop his fine motor control, even his literacy. He needs mm-hmm. to move his body in space, mm-hmm. and so so we told you know the mothers of the world and the fathers and the schools of the world, let boys move, and and when they did that, the boys calmed down. Mm. Um, they ran off steam then they were happy to sit and you know it's like i feel embarrassed adam this is embarrassingly like so so obvious um (laughs) but this was news to people yeah Um, we didn't know the neuroscience of boys very well and and so very simple stuff but you know yeah it it, the book was full of those kinds of things Mm. um and books are not really advertised you know you don't see ads on tv for books um and so it has to be word of mouth and and so people just said oh you know you're having a boy have this book yeah and um yeah so that that's what happened and yeah yeah and i measure myself now against the world 
and we're still losing this battle. Mm. Um, we've we've raised a wonderful generation of young men, but but there's another gen, there's a kind of another half generation that are really lost. Mm. And so that's why I'm so keen to work with people like you, Adam, that are going to yeah. be doing this work when I'm gone. Um, you know, Richard Fletcher and all the men who pioneered this this work um, will be gone soon. And so we, we want to give you the tools so that you can continue so that one day, you know, when a woman walks down an alleyway and a group of men are coming towards her, she feels completely safe. Mm. Um, completely that they'll be be looking out for her and be mm. and, and treat her well mm. and that world is you know still a long way off yeah yeah, yeah. For sure it's um you mentioned there even just about school school age of you know mm. we're, we're starting at five and and you know there are countries that are starting at seven like what are in in the time since you first brought out raising boys and in, in your work speaking what have been some of the the wins, I guess, of like where we've really progressed? But then where are those other areas where there's still that stagnation and resistance yeah. to, to supporting okay. boys? Yes, I'll, I'll, I'll give you two really good wins. Um, the, one was that actually the, the people, you see, what happens with good parent education, you know, you, a bad parent education is people who put bullet points on whiteboards mm. and say, I'm the expert and if you follow this recipe, you'll it'll it'll be you'll be great mm. you'll nearly be as good as i am <laughs> and, and that's a kind of patronizing expert view and mm. that appalls me that approach what i really think is that deep down inside us um there's a part of our, our mind which knows what's true yeah and and so um the job of people like me, and this was going right back to the 70s as a family therapist, was not to have answers. It was to say, well, here's, a, here's a, some things that people are saying and here's some things that people are thinking and here's what I've sometimes noticed without some other families. Does any of that fit? And, and people go, and people do this really good thing, which is they kind of stop talking and they kind of, their eyes unfocus and they kind of go inside themselves. Mm. And somewhere in their heart goes, yay um or no no don't like that um and what happened with the school starting age question was that millions of especially mums had a heart feeling he's not ready you know my daughter was ready at five she was busting her she had you know she was playing at school when she was four you know and 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 my my boy he's he's not as advanced as her and he's he 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 does he's not easy being away from me and and i wasn't feeling good about him starting school and here's this guy in australia who's written these books um saying there's a fair bit of science that they're not ready which is good because that matches how i feel yeah and now i feel strong enough to say to my husband or say to um, even the school system. And so mm. in Scotland, um, they had a year when Raising Boys came out when, a, when several tens of thousands of boys didn't start. They had yeah. to actually change their planning of their class sizes. Um, and um, it really upset the public servants because they got it all worked out. Yeah. All these, there were whole villages where everyone kept their sons home. Mm. Um, and in Australia, it caused you know lots and lots of people did this delaying, and mm. and, and so so that that was a win, mm. and and you know 
tens of thousands of boys, when they did start school, they were a whole year older and they were more um, able to handle reading and, and mm -hmm. social skills. And also they felt more on a par with the girls. And so they didn't feel like they were inferior. Mm. So they didn't have to persecute the girls or, or be mm. stupid towards mm. the girls. Um, and so a lot of consequences came from that. So that was one wing. Yeah. Um, the other one is that there's been a sea change in, in really say might be two generations now because I'm 70. So I've spanned two generations and you're, you're two generations away from me, Adam. And so my dad tried pushing a stroller when I was a newborn baby and people laughed at him in the street. He told me the story when he was dying. He, he said, um, I took out in the pram and people were looking at me like I was insane. And so he never did it again. And today, if, if you Adam pushed your kids in a stroller, you not only would you be totally normal, you'd see other dads pushing strollers. And so, so we've created an, and I don't take credit for this. It was just, but it was definitely a, I was pushing that train. Mm. Um, the idea of a hands-on dad and, and everyone listening to this podcast I'm sure is a hands-on dad. That's why they're listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they, 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 they rough and tumble with their kids. Yeah. Um, they, they read stories that kids climb into bed on a Saturday morning that they cook pancakes for their children while their wife stays in bed. Um, we've shattered that old useless idea of the dad as a walking wallet. <laughs> and, and there's a different definition of fatherhood. Now that probably isn't so in Russia, for instance. Um, it's not everywhere in the world by any means. Um, probably in in South Asia places, mm -hmm. that's not the case. The mm -hmm. Middle East, not the case. Um, but it's coming, mm -hmm. and um, um, and some of those cultures are better than us as well. You know, mm -hmm. there are cultures. You know, I I worked in the in in the, the Melanesia. When I, and I lived in in Papua New Guinea in the uh, in the seventies, and yeah. the men were wonderful with children, yeah. and, and there's there's cultures where dads have always been very loving and affectionate. So we just had to catch up the the Anglo Saxons yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah, that's um, I, I think that image of dads with with prams. It's you know our dads group catch ups in the local communities is is dads you know, just hordes of dads with kids in their prams. And, and mm. I think that is such a, like, I, I can't remember my dad ever pushing me. So yeah, yeah, I think that's such a visible sort of shift with that. Um, and, and yeah, as you say, like that's such a massive win um, in our culture that, that mm. men can be hands-on dads, not just want to be, but allowed to want to yes. be hands-on dads. Yes. Yes. There were, there were real barriers to that. Mm. And mm. Um, and the working and the workplace and working hours was one of those barriers. Yeah, for sure. And and, and something else, Adam, and I, I must excuse me. You can see I'm, no. I'm from nervous to very excitable now. Absolutely. Put, put, hose me down a bit if I get a bit. Of, <laughs> but but um, the there's a, one of the ideas which held this back a little bit. Yep. It might be holding some men back too. Is that 
it's not about being an assistant mum. Mm. There was a feeling like, you know, that the women do this best. Um, and I'm enjoying this smile on your face when I, I said that the, the women do this best and I can be a kind of half-baked version of mum if I really try. And and for us guys, that is not motivating. Um, it's a bit it's a bit wussy um, mm-hmm. that we have to discover and ha- discover our own way of being a parent. Now, even to the fact that that might we, men are not a mono, monolithic block. There are there are some men who might be more you know, maternal and and they stay home and their wife goes and conquers the corporate world or the mm-hmm. science world or politics and um and and the and but even for the average guy what we find is and there's lots of studies and and dr richard fletcher was one of the people who looked into this men are different in the way they are with children um they're more boisterous um by large um they'd slightly more risk-taking um, now that's not always good. I think there was a, <laughs> a study, and people laugh when I say this, but it's like a kind of a funny sort of laughter. I think you're three times more likely to end up in hospital while in the care of your father. Um, <laughs> and so, so dads out there, you know, use your brains. You know? <laughs> um, I. I it's well a few times i get angry and and i i but it makes me pretty angry is to see a a dad with a kid and and the kid is wandering near to the traffic Mm -hmm. um and the dad's lost in his own stuff um and um hasn't made that shift that i'm i have to be here for this child Mm. um and so is perhaps so wounded and has such terrible role models in his fatherhood that he's never seen what a loving dad looks like. Cause a loving dad is very attentive mm-hmm. and, and very focused on that little toddler. Is he going to trip over? Is he going to wander into danger? Um, but keeping that balance, um, same with dads and daughters, it, they, they go to the beach. They both get bowled over by a wave. They come home soaked. You know, the mum would never do that. You know, yeah. They have ice cream for for lunch. Mum would have packed something with the three basic food groups, um, and it's not always right. But in in balance, what happens? And we know this from the studies that kids whose dads spend time with them are more stress resistant mm. because the dads have done more kind of challenging things. Um, that rum, rumbling and tumbling and rough and tumble play um, is a is a male form of affection. And it also it teaches um, self regulation because because you look back when your dad rough and tumbled with you, you what you're wanting is that I used to love that and he never ever hurt me, mm. um, which when you look back means he must have been pretty careful with that um, and kind of monitoring my body as well as his, which is actually quite mm. quite hard. I. Um, my little uh, granddaughter the other day hurled herself at me, and and I kind of just sort of braced yeah. on reflex, and she and she banged into my kneecap, and I have a very bony kneecap, and it took three or four minutes to to mm. console her, and so she, she was uh, um, hurt inadvertently mm. walking about, mm. and so I had to really um, sit with 
with how awful I felt about that and and, and fix that with her as best I could. Mm. We all uh, blunder in these things. Um, and so, but the, the other good thing is that um, if we can apologize and um, and eat humble pie, then um, kids get this amazing feeling because very many people listening to this, their father would not have apologized to them mm-hmm. for anything. He was all proud, defensive, mm. arrogant, really insecure deep down. Yeah, just that just made him, you know, not very nice to to be around. Yeah, yeah. So yes, yeah, yeah. Lately, um, Richard, you. Sorry, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> yeah, that's all. No, right. That's okay. That's okay. Um, you know, I think. Raising Boys, the book and the talk, like really what we're getting at here is not just about our children, but also that transformation for us as men. And we've sort of hit that a little bit in terms of dads being more hands-on now. And and so I guess in I'd like to still hear from you, what what are some of the ways our culture and society can catch up and really, you know, yeah. where, where, where are we still lacking in the world in terms of supporting those differences in our boys? Yes. Um, yes. Let I me think- just... Specifically within that, the role of dads as well. You know, for our dads listening, it's not just if you have a son, but it's about who you are as a man is part of this as well. Yeah, let's let's go there. Yeah, there's a this is some deep water. Are we ready for some deep water now? I'm ready. (laughs) Yes. Now we had to have a, a big think about why was it? Why why were men so messed up in the in the 20th century? And some people were thinking about this. And the thing that prompted me to write my my first book, Manhood, was that um, there have been some people writing that had really impacted me. One of them was Robert Bly, and yeah. another, and he was writing based on another man called called Alexander Michelich, who was a German writer, who had identified something, which was that in the 20th century, the male gender were really, really hammered by history. Um, we had two massive world wars. Many men spent years in those wars. Um, when they came back, they were not in good shape. And and also we industrialized most of the Western world. Um, we moved out of villages and communities and and um and basically um fathers disappeared from the lives of children, either physically through separation or absence in war or emotionally because they were so hammered that they they were not emotionally open anymore and and so this thing happened which which robert bligh referred to and, and it hit me straight away i just knew what he was talking about it's called father hunger and it's a it's a thing where every boy is born i think and every girl too with a kind of a dream dad in their heart. They have this, you know, a, they, they sort of have a place where a dad is meant to fit. And it's like my dream dad would be like this towards me and would do these things with me. And then their real life dad gets measured against the dream dad. And um, and when I tell this to an audience and there's uh, 500 men in the room, you can just see their eyes just go ping because... Mm. They know they stand in the middle of this phenomenon of um, my dad wasn't anything like what I needed him to be. Mm. And so there's a kind of a grief 
that runs through the culture like the Grand Canyon. Um, but it's a nameless grief. Nobody really could put a name to it. And so most men just felt like, you know, I just don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me. Mm. My wife seems to know what to do. She mm. seems to be able to say what she means and say what she feels. I feel like I've got, I mean, the blind, you know, I'm doing this blind. Um, because most men had never seen what a good father looked like. Mm. And if you haven't seen one, how can you possibly be one? Mm -hmm. and, and so so i i wrote manhood and and, and in the talks i was giving that was you know the talk would be called raising boys but we, we would dive straight into how was how was your boyhood mm. and what what happened adam was this remarkable thing that men would leave the talk i would be looking at the um audience and not everyone just two or three men would always leave um and I figured, oh, well, they're bored or they've got to, got to get home or something or um, they don't like what I'm saying. You know, fair enough, you know, you, that's fair enough. But but I was in the UK at the time and and we had we were using theatres. And they, so we had ushers and lobby and ushers in. And I was talking to some ushers outside and they said, what is it? What's, what's your talk about? And I said, oh, this is about raising kids. And they said, well, there were three men who came out and they were crying. And... And they just went off crying, and and I said, "Oh hell, you know you 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 want to touch people mm. when you give me talk. You want to touch people's hearts, but if they leave, um, I'm not sure that's a good outcome. Mm. Um, it's too upsetting to stay. Um, will they be all right? And so so we made the talk progressively much more hilarious, <laughs> and, and so we would go somewhere really really deep." And then crack a joke just in the middle of it. And and you could feel like you were moving the tectonic plates with little explosions instead of one big one. Yeah. And um, and so people still cry when they watch the the, the talks. And men come up to me in, in the street in different cities and and they'll start they'll say, you know, that that book, Manhood, you know, I read that book. I hadn't talked to my father for 10 years. Um, I decided he wouldn't be alive very long. I went and talked to him. Um, he was an asshole when I was a kid, but I figured there might have been some reasons, and we had to talk about that. And sure enough, there were there were good reasons. And and these men, as they're talking to me, their eyes are, are filling up, and my eyes are filling up. And so um, this this was a big wound. And um, and so if if i'd work like in a prison or or in a group of men who've got a, a violence issues and things like that um what i'll say is well okay um what's it like what's it like being a kid in your family uh, what's it like to be a kid in the family you grew up in and i i learned this question from a psychiatrist a friend of mine who's actually my brother-in-law is a terrific yeah. psychiatrist and he told me this he asked this question about three quarters of the way through the first interview with men yeah. what's it like being a kid in your family and and this this look goes over some guys of you know it was it was shit you know you were scared dad came home drinking he was he, he turned the bed over once i was in bed he, he flipped the bed over he was in a rage and and so life was was a nightmare and um and being stoic characters 
I mean, put that behind themselves, say, oh, it didn't do me any harm, really. Mm. Um, because I just get very twitchy when the kids get loud, you know. Um, but it's, you know, and 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 when when you've touched that place, and there'll be men listening to this who are touching that place right now as they're listening, then what it brings about is a resolve. Um, I will not put my kids through that. Mm. I, I will not, you know, one of my difficulties as a dad was I, I I would get too loud. My voice would get too loud. And one of the, in the Raising Girls book, we say most girls have got more acute hearing than most boys. These differences are amazing. Um, girls really hate loud voices. Um, experiment with halving your volume. Mm. And, um, and the crosser you are, talk less loud. Mm-hmm. And now we're all human and, and sometimes you have to yell at kids, you know, just to get their attention. But, but what, keep your eyes open because if you're, if you're telling one of your children off, watch them really closely because there'll be a second where, that, where they get it. Mm. Um, and that second you have to immediately soften. Mm-hmm. It's like you've, 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 they've got what you're saying. Mm. And you, and you say to them, does it, again, this question I love, you know, does that make sense? Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So they've got a chance to come back and they mm-hmm. feel like um, it's a conversation we're having. I'm not, I'm not getting, I'm not a nail being hammered into a plank of wood here. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a, my dad recognizes my selfhood, even though I'm really little, I have a selfhood. Mm-hmm. I have feelings, I have boundaries and he's respecting that. And, um, but it's it's like through getting in touch with the pain of our own childhoods, um, it brings a, a kind of a fresh resolve to do better. Uh, and I think most men are, um, you know, it's, it's will, it'll be part of our history. We did better than our dads, um, and we won't get the whole way. And and our kids will do better than us. And and that's you know don't try and make it a perfection thing mm. um ju- just be, you know, um be human um yeah, you know yeah. our dad he struggled sometimes you know and that was what made, helped us to love him you know was, <laughs> you know he wasn't you know anything yeah amazing you know yeah so i wonder steve what's what sits between you know those those dads who who looking back on their childhood and and whether they're seeing positive or or even hurtful memories and then getting to that point where they're really just engaged warm positive fathers with their kids what what sort of lies in the middle of those things what's the trajectory for a man to get to that point or to to fulfill that within his own fathering yes I think there's a there's a lot of things. I wish we had several hours, yeah. another, another hour, Adam. Uh, maybe it. another time. But one of the I can only talk personally. That one of the things that really helped me was um, that um, because I'm autistic, and and I think maybe all men are a bit autistic. Uh, in the sense that we don't talk across our, hem- our brain hemispheres quite as easily as women yeah. do. Um, and that my wife, Sharon, 
was very interesting because she came from a very violent family uh, and and her, her childhood was was sometimes just really terrible mm. and so she had a resolve that we would be loving parents and 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 not um, and, and not not use smacking or hitting or anything mm. Mm. and um and i was totally on board with that as as a as, a, as an idea mm-hmm. um but i didn't know much what else to do mm-hmm. and so um one of the reasons um that i wrote the books was i i have to think everything through myself mm-hmm. and if i can explain it to myself then i know sort of can guide myself along mm-hmm. um where some people have better instincts and they just kind of have a feel for it but i had to kind of think my way and and so um Sharon would teach me a lot and give me a lot of feedback. Mm. And I think I was really lucky to be in a team. Yeah. Um, and, um, and it wasn't that I just simply took on board everything that Sharon said, but, but I would always have to think about it because she was right about nine out of 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and it meant I had to be on my toes because it could be the one out of 10 where she was wrong, you know, Um so I'd say my point of view or my misgivings and, and everything. But um, as, as we're getting towards the end of this, one of the things that many of the men listening will be aware of is maybe their marriage isn't going all that great. You know, 40% of our marriages end. And and that's very rough on families and on kids. Um, and to, to, to realise that when you get into a partnership and you have children you're really still a baby yourself on, on some levels. We're just all babies in our twenties. And, and so you have to continue growing. Now, someone I heard the other day, uh, um, Esther Perel, who's a wonderful, but yes. uh, yeah, you know, really good yeah. about sexuality and mm-hmm. marriage. And I really admire her. And she said, we have three or four relationships in our lives, uh, three or four marriages because we live a long time and we go through a lot of change he said but if you're really lucky it's with the same person (laughs) Um, and it's certainly from a practical and from a financial viewpoint that is also ideal Um, but not everyone's so lucky but that means that you will have there'll be phases in a marriage where it gets very difficult where you won't know what the hell to do or say and but if you hang in through that and keep listening and keep talking and avo- above all, avoid power tactics, you know, no walkouts mm. except to get some fresh air, you know, and no, no, no money games and, and no, no um, sexual blackmail, you know, I'll go with someone else because you're not sleeping with me kind of stuff. Ha- grow up, hang in there um, and keep talking. Yeah. And, what generally happens is a relationship goes to a new level. Mm. Um, all of a sudden, if you talk to couples who've done, been through this, they say, I don't really know, but we just started liking each other again. And and we didn't quit. And it was rough, but we're back. You know, we're, we're having a great time now. And then six, seven years later, you have teenagers and it all goes goes to shit again <laughs> um, and and but you thought okay well you know what did we do yeah we kept talking and we you know we slowed down and we maybe had a week you know holiday on our own to just think about things get you back your sense of yourself um and so don't panic 
if you're if you're not communicating very well mm. panic is what kills these things mm. um, there's this wonderful new ideas like self self-soothing the idea that we have to walk on beaches mm. we have to have male friends that we can talk to about male problems yeah. uh, women can't be our emotional backstop I, I wish every dad was in a men's group Mm -hmm. um weekly discussing that and in a, every men's group i've been in there'll be one man whose marriage isn't having a terrible time there'll be a man who's got some suicide issues because of his childhood and we hold each other through those and and bad things don't happen you know you can you know when when there's a terrible headline in the newspaper i think yeah. could have stopped that you know someone could have talked him out of that um and yeah so, so we must have run out of a lot of the time you've got available. <laughs> I go on, I go on no, these long rambles, but it's, it's been incredible, Steve. And, and I, probably about two minutes in, I scrapped half the questions I had because it was just, I'm so grateful. And, and our dads are so grateful that, um, that you've brought so much insight, um, from your experience, but also so much insight from your, your stories and, and, yeah, just from your own fatherhood journey. So we're extremely grateful for your time this morning, Steve, and, and we'll definitely schedule in for another interview. Um, next time, <laughs> I think we put aside 12 hours. A <laughs> little bites is probably best. Yeah. <laughs> but no, thank you so much, Steve. And um, if if any of our dads um, are wanting to to learn more about what you've started to open up here, where would be the best place for them to... to yeah, find? well, I'm basically, I'm old and... Old and um feeble now and so I, I don't do my talks anymore they're all but they're all on, on the website you can you can rent any of my talks for eight dollars mm. uh, and 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 they're 90 minute live shows with an audience and get some friends together and yeah. put in two dollars each and then you can watch it get some pizza um and that's the best place to to if you don't if you don't read books a lot of men don't don't read books yeah, that, that's, yeah. um that a live the live shows are, are a lot of fun to watch on your home television yeah. um yeah but and but mainly main message big big hugs to uh, to all the dads listening and, yeah. and hang in there and you you're doing so many of the right things just, just keep on with it and uh, hope it all goes really well yeah awesome thank you so much steve <laughs>